I love that. And in, in, in one second, he's a bully and he kicks over the sandcastle in the next. He's like, I'm going to be there with you in your pain. Here's some tissues. Uh, I'm, I'm enjoying the, the bumper for this series, Kicking Down Sandcastles. Uh, so anyways, let me ask you guys a question. How many of you here would say that you have a possession, you own something of yours, that if it was lost or taken from you or destroyed in some way, shape, or form, like would, would cause you like, like some distress? You would be a little upset to like, okay, just me. Okay, a few of you, yeah. It's hard to admit, right, that we might maybe cry over something that that we own a little bit. Like maybe your cell phone, if something happened to your phone. I think there's a few of us in here, if you've ever lost your phone, panicked a little bit. Uh, Or maybe it's a family photo or heirloom, right? Like we have these possessions that, that mean a lot to us for either financial value or sentimental value for whatever reason, right? And if we lose these things, it, it sucks. Uh, my, for my wife and I, something that, that we've had over the last uh, three years since we've lived back here in California is Disney passes. When we moved here, our family bought us Disney passes as like a welcome home uh, type thing for us. Um, and it was great. And for us in that first year of living here, going to Disneyland was kind of like a little bit of a sanctuary for us because it was a really, really hard transition uh, coming back to California. And so for us, it was just a place for us to go as a family and just kind of escape uh, the, just the stress of, of that first year of life. And because of that, like it created a lot of sentimental value. And so we knew pretty quickly that, man, okay, we need to figure out how we're going to be able to renew these. Um, my wife at the time had a pretty decently paying job. And so we were able to handle it next year with some help from family again. Uh, and then this last year, uh, we were as well, but right around the time we renewed was also the same time my wife took a new job where she took uh, a huge pay cut. And so I kind of knew that like this year, like once they expire, like we're done, it's over. Um, but she had been holding out hope until about a, m- a month or two ago when we found out that we had termites in our house. Do you guys, anybody here ever had termites in their home? Like don't, don't let termites in your house. I don't know how you control that. Uh, if you know the way, please tell me, like, I don't ever want to deal with it again. But for my wife, it was like the termites ate the Disney pass uh, for us, right? And it was difficult. And initially we were like, let's, let's figure out a way to make it work, right? We started to think like, we could just change our life. I love, like for me, my, my idea that I had, like, let's, let's move into a smaller home. Anybody watch like these tiny house shows? Anybody? I love, like, I watch, like, Netflix, anytime I see one, like, I'm on it, binge watching these tiny, I want to live tiny. I watch the show, and I'm like, let's all move into one bedroom this week. Let's make it happen. Let's practice, and let's go to the smaller house. Let's, 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 let's save some money, right? And I thought, you know, we could also save money. Yeah, I could, I could, we could diet. I could just eat less and buy less food and then lose my bubble butt and bubble gut, and, and we'll have money to go to Disneyland. It'll be great. Right? But I think sometimes, though, we, we have these circumstances in life where our possessions uh, give us too much purpose, right? Or, or our possessions or our finances or our money give us purpose too often, right? And, and so we get stuck in this place of letting our money tell us how we're going to live. But if you think about it, our culture kind of teaches us that, right? As a young age, you're told you got to go to school. And when you go to school, you're told you got to study and do your homework so that you can get good grades. And then you're told you got to get good grades so that you can go to a good college. And you got to go to a good college so that you can get a good job. And you got to get a good job so you can make some good money, right? Because that's, that's what life's about, the pursuit of money, right? And, and we live in this culture that that's what we make our decisions 
off of. And we don't necessarily think about it that way, but I mean, I remember over and over, like, as a kid, like, you need to make money when you grow up. Like, that's the goal in life. And so do all these things to make money. And so we're constantly shaping our lives around finances and possessions. And Jesus, right, so we've, we've been in this series and in, in, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where we've been looking at this idea of how he wants us to kick down the sandcastles in our life, right? In other words, stop building our life on things that are destructible and dig down to the solid rock foundation and start building our life on things that are indestructible. And today, we're going to be looking at part of his sermon where he gets into possessions and finances uh, as an issue in our lives. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Let me read the first couple verses of our passage here in uh, 19 and 20. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where Neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so Jesus just lays it out there this way. Listen, if you live for earthly treasures, like, they will be destroyed. So don't don't give your life to that. But instead, give your life to living for heavenly treasures, where they aren't destroyed, where nothing can take those treasures away. Like, that is what we need to live our life for. All things on earth will fall apart. Right? And what, how you know if, if you're living for earthly treasures is this. When the storms of life hit, when things get difficult, right? when they get hard and you start to lose hope, is what you reach for for safety, is what you reach for for hope, something that is destructible, something that is earthly, or is it something more? Is it something from heaven? Is it destructible or indestructible? If it is destructible, ultimately you're asking for a destroyed life right? You're asking for that destroyed life. And what's crazy is that in these situations, we just think, if I just get more of it, then we'll be fine, right? If I can just get more money, then we'll always be good, right? I just need, I just need more of it. But there was a really, really great teacher prophet in the late 20th century. His name was Notorious B.I.G. And he taught a whole generation that mo money means what? Mo, mo problems, Right, more money, more problems. Right? If you if you live for destructible things, the more destructible stuff you have in life, it just means you're going to have more things in your life that are going to fall apart. That's all it means. It doesn't mean you're going to have more safety or anything else. It just means more of your life is going to fall apart. And what's crazy is, is we feel that tension. Right? It feels like oftentimes the more we have, the less control really we have in life. It feels like really our possessions we don't own them, but they possess us. Like when the termites came into my home, I felt like my home owned me. It took control of my life in that moment. I'm like, I don't want anything to do with this house right now. Like someone else buy this home (laughs) that is being eaten from the inside out, right? I don't want anything to do with that. And so Jesus gets into the heart of the the problem in these next couple verses uh, in 21 to 23. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness, right? And so the heart of the problem Jesus is getting to is the heart itself, right? What you treasure, there your heart will be also. Your heart is the issue here. In other words, what you desire most determines how you see the world and yourself. What you desire most determines how you see the world 
and yourself. Your desires are going to dictate how you live this life. They're going to dictate the actions you take in this world and how you live your life. I cannot get to There we go. Sweet. I just have to be like that, like a ballerina when I point. All right. Um, I'm not a ballerina. That's why I'm not good with it. So what you desire most will determine how you're going to see the world and yourself, right? You think about it like if you're living for money, you're going to base all your decisions and all your relationships with everybody and everything on financial decisions. My wife and I were watching uh, a documentary on Netflix this week. I think it's American Factory or something like that. Um, It's brand new. It just came out. And it's about this guy who's a a Chinese businessman, and he, he owns a business in China, and he's from China, that's where he grew up, and he, he buys out this factory that GM shut down in Cincinnati. And so he turns it into an autoglass factory, which is what he owns uh, back in China, and he's trying to establish an American business. And, but he's trying to bring his Chinese culture into it. So this whole documentary is super interesting of this Chinese culture and his philosophy of life in with the American culture and the culture specifically in that town, and there's just clash after clash after clash. And, and, and he gets super frustrated throughout this whole documentary. And towards the end, they're filming him. He's in like the back of his limo or something, driving out in some like beautiful countryside. And he's like taking in the scenery. And he goes, I just miss being a kid where all I had to worry about was just playing in a field like this. He goes, because this work stuff is difficult. And then he goes, but the purpose of life is to work, don't you think? And I just went like, oh, that is depressing. Like, you literally think the purpose of life is to work. But, so it, but it made sense the way everything else went prior to in that documentary. His entire life was built off this idea that it is about working and working for money. Your entire life is going to be dictated by what you desire most, including your relationships and even how you see yourself. Jesus says, your eyes are the lamp of your body. He uses these, the, 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 these words of healthy or unhealthy or good and bad. And really in the Greek, what's implied here is if your eyes are, if they're healthy, what he means is if they are generous. And he goes, if they're unhealthy or bad, what he's really saying is if they're stingy, right? And so he's talking about our eyes. Do we have eyes that are generous, that seek to give? Or do we have eyes that are stingy, that are like, no, it's about me first. And here's what's crazy about stingy eyes. When our eyes are stingy, We can't see our own greed, right? Which is what Jesus is saying. Like, if your eyes are bad, if your eyes are stingy, like, how great is that stinginess in your whole body? How great is that greed in your own body? You can't even see it. I know some of you are, like, probably thinking, I'm not stingy, I'm not greedy. And I mean, there might be a few of us in here that could genuinely say that, but most of us have moments, at least weekly, where we're like, nah, it's about me right now. This, this, I'm going to buy this for me, or I'm going to take care of me. Man, that is a constant struggle that I'm going through. And I know what you might be feeling. You might be feeling like, Jared, this is personal. Like, don't talk about my wallet. <laughs> stay out of my wallet. Stay out of my wallet. Stay out of my kitchen. Right? But this, it should feel personal, because that's exactly how they would have felt when they heard these words coming out of Jesus' mouth. He, mouth. He's talking about... Your, your purpose in life. He's talking about your deepest desires and how you see yourself. He's talking about our finances and our possessions. The problem should feel personal, but he's not trying to upset us, right? He wants us to be healthy. That's his goal. And to get healthy, you have to get personal. You have to. I mean, think about it. When you go to a doctor, 
right? And I haven't been to a doctor in forever. I actually have a, a physical this week. Just pray for that. I'm worried. Uh, but when you go to a doctor, you share information with that doctor that is very personal, that, that you probably wouldn't share with someone you've been friends with for a few years. But you get personal with the doctor because you want to get healthy. And that's what we got to do, and that's what Jesus wants us to do. He is trying to get personal in this message so that we can get healthy in our hearts and in our eyes, so that we can be generous and not stingy. And he's not teaching that wealth is bad or that possessions are bad. I don't want you to hear that. He's not getting at what you earn, but more why are you earning it? Why are you seeking to buy that next thing? Like, what are you going to do with it? What is, what is genuinely your desire? And I, and I gotta be honest, I like the way Paul kind of hits on this in his letter to, to Timothy. It's in his first letter. So we're gonna go there right now um, when he talks about these desires, because we do need to be careful of these desires. First Timothy 6, I'm gonna read verses 9 and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. There we go. That won't be distracting for anybody for the rest of the sermon. All right. Uh, right? And so here's he's saying, like, listen, so it's not money that are the issue. It's not possessions that are the issue, but it's the love of them. It's seeking after those desires. And Paul tells Timothy, he warns them, like, listen, the people get tempted by these desires. They fall into the desires, which ultimately leads to destruction because they don't see it as, oh, I'm pursuing a life of greed. But I just, I just want these things right? We coat the greed in our hearts and the stinginess of our eyes with a few other things to make us feel like the pursuit is justified. We seek power, we seek safety, and we seek independence. None of these things are sinful. They're not, all right? It is not sinful to have power or want power. In other words, to be a leader, to have influence. There's nothing wrong with being a leader and having influence. God calls us to positions of leadership and influence in our life. Safety, there's nothing wrong with wanting safety. Independence, there's nothing wrong with independence. But when we use them to cover up what is our actual desire, and that is just to seek to have more things, more money in this world, that's when it becomes an issue. And that's ultimately when these things lead to destruction in a way that honestly kind of makes me think that, that we don't actually ever grow up from being kids. If you can remember being a kid and having that favorite, picture your favorite toy, whatever that was, like just pick out some random favorite toy as a kid, right? Like you wanted to take that thing everywhere. My two daughters, like every time we go anywhere, they just, can we please bring this and this and this and this? I'm like, we're not moving. Like you don't, you don't need to. And we're, I'm like, it's a battle now. I'm like, we're not bringing anything. I don't want to deal with it because we know now what will come of it. Now, when my first daughter was born and she hit that stage of, can I please bring my stuffed animal? And we're like, oh, yeah, that's cute. Yeah, bring it. That's so sweet. Bring your toy. That's fun. But we didn't know the door that we were opening because it's not long, right? They take that toy somewhere. It's going to get broken. Someone's going to take it. it it's going to get stolen. It's going to get lost. And then when that happens, we have to have a funeral, right? The child mourns and weeps, right? When we're a kid and we lose a possession, something that we care about, right? As a kid, our whole world is wrapped up in that stuff. <laughs> the other day, I was asking my daughter, what do you want to thank God for today? Or it was her, it was her birthday. We were like, what are you thankful for in your life? Toys. 
sweet. Not mommy, daddy, no. Toys, right? Kids, all about toys, all about possessions, right? They lose a balloon. The balloon goes up, the tears come down, right? Like, they weep. And in the same way, we, we haven't changed, right? When we live this way that Jesus is talking about and that Paul's warning Timothy about of just seeking to possessions, and money, when those things fall apart, our life will be destroyed. Living for destructible things leads to a destroyed life. I think that cell phones illustrate this idea of what happens when our purpose shifts from healthy to unhealthy. You see, cell phones in the late 90s and early 2000s were about one thing. They were about durable mobile communication, right? Like, and there was no phone that did this better than this phone right here, right here. There we go. All right. The Nokia 3210. Anybody out there have one of these? Anybody? I'm jealous. All right. I just want to say that I, this, this came out right as I was going into high school and like I had just, I was just finally given a pager for graduating eighth grade and I thought I'm in. Finally, I got my pager and then all my friends started to get this phone. I was like, man, I just can't keep up. And they take the, like, this phone was dope. You could put it on the table and like set it to vibrate and ring like custom songs and people would call you and dance around on the table. But the cool, and, oh, and it had like the greatest cell phone game in the history of cell phone games. You know what I'm talking about? Snake. Yes, if you have not played Snake in the Nokia 3210, you have not lived. Figure it out. It's awesome. But the best feature is, is my friends, we could take this phone and throw it across the Taco Bell dining room and watch it explode into the four pieces that it came in. And you put those pieces right back together and it would work just fine. These phones were borderline invincible, right? But that's because that was their purpose, to be really put in the hands of teenagers. They're, they were thinking, teen, and teenagers destroy things. So they need to be durable. And then Apple came in. And they're like, that's great, durability, mobile communication. Let's make them about entertainment. And let's make them pretty. Let's build them with glass. That's a good idea. <laughs> and ever since, that purpose has shifted, right? Now we buy phones and we pay extra money, like we want the pretty phone, and then we're like, but I don't want it to be not pretty, so I'm going to cover it up, right? And I'm going to get a case and a special screen on top of that, and then I'm going to pay for insurance. And so now, like, cell phone case industry and cell phone in insurance industry have just blown up because the purpose of the cell phone has shifted. When your purpose shifts from something that is indestructible to destructible, you're asking for destruction to happen, Right? When our life is about destructible things, we're going to feel broken. Paul, the, the NIV translates Paul's word into grief. We will feel that grief. When a person or thing that's our reason for living breaks, hurts us, is taken, dies, is lost, we will feel that grief. We will feel sorrow. Now, I'm not saying that if you feel sorrow or pain or frustration or grief when any of this stuff in our life breaks, that that means that it's your foundation. What I'm saying is, is if when that stuff falls apart, when the storms hit, and you reach to those things, you're not going to have hope and peace. When your foundation is on heavenly things, that hope cannot be taken away because your hope is not in those things that can be destroyed. Your hope is in something else. What you're living for is something else entirely. It's going to be painful, and it's going to suck. It's a storm, but you won't be destroyed, right? So it's not about being happy, and really at the end of the, but, or it's about not losing your faith, as Paul puts it. Don't lose your faith. Don't lose your hope. 
And so what we need to do is we need to shift. We need to shift our, our, our thinking. We need to shift from, from our possessions giving us purpose to using them with purpose. We need to give our possessions purpose and not the other way around. Giving our possessions purpose starts with the right desire. We need to have the right desire. And Jesus says the right desire is what? Heavenly treasures, indestructible heavenly treasures. That's what we need. Stop letting the possessions dictate your purpose and, and live your life for God, not money. I, I, one of the, probably for me, one of the most frustrating ways, and this probably because I'm a child of divorce, but one of the most frustrating ways that, that I see money influence our life uh, and people's lives is in marriage. I've seen people prolong getting married because they haven't saved up enough money yet to have that wedding. Like, you're saving for a wedding? Like, that's why you're not, that, like, that's the main reason. Now, I'm not saying, like, saving for a wedding is wrong, but if that's the reason you're putting your marriage off, your wedding off, your life together off for a day, like, after that day's over, like, your marriage is, you're saying, my, I'm going to build my marriage on this wedding day. When that day ends, then what is your marriage built on? Right? And I've seen the opposite too, rush people rushing into marriage because of financial decisions. And this usually happens more with military people because if they're about to go on leave, right, and, and serve, they, there's better benefits if you get married first. And so people will rush into like, we just got to get married. Again, it's not wrong to make that a part of your decision, but if that is the foundation of your marriage, when that leave is over, when your career ends or whatever, like those things aren't guaranteed, right? They're destructible. And so when they go away, what is your marriage built on? You build your marriage on something that is destructible, you're asking for your marriage to be destroyed. You build your life that is something on something that is destructible, you're asking for your life to be destroyed. And so we have to shift the way our possessions give us purpose and start giving them purpose. And really that starts by seeking that treasure in heaven. And so what does that really mean, right? Because when you think about seeking treasures in heaven, it's like, okay, how do we acquire treasures in heaven? Like, treasures on earth, we can see. They're tangible, right? We have these tiki torches up here. As a kid, first time I saw tiki torches in someone's backyard, I wanted my parents to get tiki torches so bad. I wanted a million. I wanted, I wanted the back of my house, like, to be on fire. I know we got firefighters in the room. You're stressing out about that, maybe. But, like, I just, as a kid, like, fire was fun. And, and you know, it's pretty. It's beautiful. But dangerous. And so I always wanted, right? And so it's easy to go, like, yeah, I can see it. It's tangible. I can grab it. I can store up these treasures, but heavenly treasures, what is the secret? In Paul's, back in Paul's letter uh, to Timothy, he kind of puts the secret out there um, at the beginning of the same little section that we were in. There we go. Uh, in verse 6, uh, chapter 6 in his first letter to Timothy, it says, now there is great gain in godliness with contentment, right? You want gain in life. The great gain is with godliness with contentment, is in godliness with contentment. In other words, you're living your life seeking God with a content heart, right? Your life is about pursuing God and what he wants and trying to be like him and live for him and live the generous life that he's called you to while being content in your heart. Meaning, I'm not saying that that means that you don't still want new things or the next phone that comes out or whatever, but it just means if you don't get those things, you're gonna be okay, and even if you lose the things that you have now due to the storms of this life, you're still going to be okay. You're still going to have hope because your life, your foundation, your desires are not on the destructible things. They're on these treasures in heaven. You're seeking and your life is about living God, living for God and living to know God. If mine and my wife's life was about money 
we would have never moved back here from Arizona. There's no way. Like, if it's been three years, if we would have stayed there, my student loans would be paid off right now. Now my grandkids will pay off my student loans. <laughs> right? We had, and this might make your stomach turn a little bit, we had a 2,300 square foot home. Our mortgage was $650 a month. This, and it was a brand new home. Like, we, like we built it, right? Like, it was, aw- yeah, no termites. Preach. Scorpions, but they don't eat your house at least, right? <laughs> That's funny. That's your mind. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to use that. I won't give you credit. Uh, <laughs> I'm greedy. I need to work on this. This sermon's just as much for me, uh, <laughs> right? Where was I? We, we, yeah, why we moved, uh, right? We, we didn't move here for that. We, we moved here because we were seeking God. We moved here because our hearts are about seeking God, not about money. If our lives were about financial gain or based off of finances and possessions, a year ago, my wife wouldn't have taken the new job. Because she, she, the first two years, just to give you a little backstory, the first two years we were here, she was a manager at a car dealership, and she was making a lot of money but wasn't able to give a whole lot of time to us as a family or as a church. And that really wore on us. And the whole two years, we were looking and praying that God would provide a job. I mean, and there were some really frustrating moments with us, with God. That we were like, God, what do you do? All we want is to be able to like give more. <laughs> we need a different job for her where she can be around and have the time to do that. And so the only thing that came up after two years was in her company, but it was a significant pay cut and a demotion. And she jumped on it. And she was judged and criticized by people in her company thinking they, she can't make it. She'll never cut it. What they don't know is that on her own in the 10 years, she worked up from her own as a receptionist to be a manager, right? But they just judged her for it. Even people in our life that we know, like, why, why, would you, why would you do that? But I get it because from their perspective, their foundation, what they reach to for hope is money, is finances. So to move away from Arizona is not a smart life decision if you're building your life on finances. To take a job that gives you less influence, less authority, and makes you look lazy or bad to everybody else in the company is not a good financial life decision. But we don't make our life decisions with finances as our foundation. Take them into account because we need to be good stewards and responsible, but we don't make them the main reason. Nothing can take away a life living for God. Nothing can take that away. No storm in this life can remove the hope that comes from living a life for God, living a life, the generous life that God calls us to. It's an indestructible life. Nothing can take that away. What my wife has taught me this last year in her new position is that when we make our lives not about finances, we, and, and, and about living for God, we truly become free to give. Free to give more. Because it's not about my wants anymore. This life isn't about what I need. It's not about my money. It's not about my wants. It's about something more. It's a shift from finding purpose in our possessions to giving our possessions purpose, right? Because at the end of the day, finding purpose in your possessions leaves you wanting. But finding purpose in God leaves you wanting nothing. You're content. You take nothing else away from the message this morning. Take that. Finding purpose in possessions leaves us wanting, but finding purpose in God leaves us wanting nothing. 
We are living a truly content life. Jesus closes out this, this little section of his, his sermon on, on finances and possessions and treasures uh, in verse 24. Let's read that together, right? Now. There we go. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. You can't have it both ways. Either you're going to live a life where your possessions and your finances are going to dictate your purpose and, and the why you live, or it's going to be the other way around and you're going to use them with purpose. Either they give you purpose or you're going to use them with purpose. You can't have it both ways. You're either going to live a stingy life or you're going to be generous. That's it. You're going to live a stingy life or you're going to be generous. Jesus talks about what it means or what generosity should look like just a little bit early on in this sermon. And it's still in Matthew 6, but the first four verses of Matthew 6. There we go. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. At the end of the day, Jesus is saying, when you give, yes, live the generous life. That's what it means to live for treasures in heaven, but do it without strings attached. Because guess what? You can still be generous or appear generous, but if you're giving with yourself in mind, that's not generosity. That's still greed. If you expect anything in return, right, you're not being generous anymore. You've just become a bank. That's it. Even if you're not expecting money in return, you're expecting more favors, time, whatever. Give generously without strings attached. It's for God. It's not for you. Generosity. It's not for you. I forgot to go to the next part. Sorry. There's a lot of ways that we can give in this life. There's a lot of ways that we can be generous in this life. Here at Olive Branch, I've seen uh, people be super generous. As the youth pastor here at the church in the summer, something that we have needed every summer is a nice, not even a nice pool, just a pool, a good sized pool for teenagers to come and swim in, right? And we have a decent amount of teenagers that show up, so you need a decent sized pool for safety reasons. Not that we're too worried about safety in youth ministry, um, <laughs> but just enough. And, uh, and so we've had, we've had people, when there's people in the church who have some really, 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 really nice homes, I mean like really nice homes, like homes that when you see these homes and, and most people in this world when they buy these homes, they're not thinking, I can't wait to have teenagers in here. Because that's basically like, let's invite the termites in, you know? <laughs> the teenagers will eat you out of house and home, like termites. They destroy things. And these families over and over again are like, no, use the house. I actually, I used, when I first started here, I used to feel guilty about asking, hey, can we use your place? I, they actually, these people make me feel guilty for not using it enough. I genuinely feel that way because when, when they bought the house, they're like, we didn't go, how can we use this for us? We go, we, we, how can we use this for God? How can the church use this? That is their purpose. There's so many ways to be 
generous. In the next couple weeks, just here at Olive Branch, we have these cups in the back that you can take, these coffee cups that, that you can fill with money to help support the rise against hunger for these meals, right? Take these cups. Don't fill them with coffee. Fill them with generosity. It's just a small way to practice it. And then keep that cup as a reminder to be generous. Um, we have Live Week coming up. Find a way to be generous that week in any way, shape, or form. Be a part of that. Figure out, get more information on that. Be generous. But at the end of the day, what's more important than those little tasks is just checking our hearts and our eyes. And so daily, check our hearts and our eyes. Too far. Oh, gosh. Okay. I don't know what's happening right now. Check our hearts. It's possessed. Uh, Put it on the Bible for a minute. Maybe it'll help. Uh, We need to check our hearts and our eyes. All right? We, we, need, we need to be willing to look at ourselves, And I got to be honest, these questions I like, I don't want to look at after this weekend because it's hard, right? It's, it's my money. I earned it. I feel like, no, this is, I, I've earned this money. This is, this is mine, right? I worked at Burger King and I got that first paycheck and, and had to give that money away to people named FICA and stuff. And that was frustrating. And, and so I want to be the one to say what happens with my money that I earned. But those are stingy eyes speaking to our heart. And so instead, we need to ask ourselves, remind ourselves, just you can write these down on the window clings or somewhere or in your own words, but daily set a reminder to have this pop up and just to check your heart and your eyes and ask yourself, what possessions might be using you and how can you instead use them for God? And stop asking how money can help you and start asking how it can help others. Just these two little things could shift your heart and, and your life in such a huge way to help you start living that generous life. Well, this is hard because at the end of the day, generosity requires sacrifice. It does. We have to sacrifice to be generous. And, and Jesus calls us to this life, but nobody was more generous than him. Nobody. Nobody was more generous than Jesus, right? He gives us his life as an example. He gives us his entire life as an example to be generous. He says, listen, I, I'm going to give you my life. I don't, you don't need to do, there's no strings attached with my generosity, with his love that he gives us. There's no strings attached. He says, where you're at right now, you don't need to start going to church first regularly. You don't need to start tithing first regularly. You just, just where you're at, I love you right now, and I'm giving my life to you right now. I'm showing you that generosity so that generosity might change your heart to stop living for the earthly treasures and start living for heavenly treasures and change your eyes to be eyes that that aren't greedy, that aren't stingy, but are generous, where you're looking to give because you're impacted of how much Jesus has given us. He has given us so much. We can't help but respond and desire to give back. And so give. Recalibrate your heart and your eyes Give your life to him, man. If you haven't done that, have that conversation with him right now. I genuinely believe that while you maybe can be generous without Jesus, you can't be most generous. You can't be the generous person that this world needs without first knowing his level of generosity. He is the source of generosity. You will never do anything well without first knowing the source and being taught by the source and learning from the source. We need to learn that from him. And so accept that generosity from him, that it might change you and help you to be the generous person that this world needs, to live that generous life. Recalibrate your heart and your eyes to him. 
then at the end of the day, if you can do that, if we can do that, you will truly be living a life of generosity, a life that gives possessions purpose, a life that stores treasures in heaven, a life that is indestructible. That's the life that we are called to live. Live that generous life. Live that indestructible life. Don't have those stingy eyes. Have that generous heart. Be that generous person that this world needs. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. Actually, I don't know why I always want to start with thanking you, probably because of the habit, God. I don't thank you for this message because it's hard. But God, we ask you for help with this message. God, we, we need your help to not be stingy. God, give us your eyes to, to see our possessions, not as ours, but as something that can be used for you to do good in this world. Help us to see our lives, not as ours, but as something to be used for you to do good in this world. God, thank you for that example. Thank you for showing us what generosity looks like on the cross and giving us that hope. God, help us to have treasures in this life that are indestructible so that we can have an indestructible life. It's in your name we pray, amen.